Welcome, everyone, and welcome back to the Podcasting Guild, Babylon 5, where he's never seen the show, and we still don't know what we're doing. And the points don't matter. And the points don't matter. Right, exactly. For today's episode, we're taking a look at the Season 1 episode, Episode 9, Deathwalker. Interesting episode, and one that kind of starts to ask some interesting questions and we're going to see a series of those episodes in the next few episodes of the se- of the season so if you like interesting questions this kind of starts to ask some of those with this episode oh yeah it was a dense episode it was a dense episode and i'll say right now that i watched it a couple days ago so it's not as fresh as some other episodes and i remember that there were a lot of little moments where i'm like oh that's significant that'll come up in future episodes that's setting something up and now i can't remember what those moments are so <laughs> that's a very exciting way to jump in but yeah death walker interesting episode title it made me think of the soul hunter episode yeah. and the opening of the episode didn't do anything to dissuade that the first like third of it all reminded me of the death walker episode there are some similarities there, to be sure. And as with many episodes of Babylon 5, it starts in customs. <laughs> yeah, these writers have to, you know, they use the same setup over and over again. <laughs> yeah, starts in customs. Well, why don't you introduce it, Eric? Sure. I'm always giving the synopsis. Go ahead. Yeah, so it starts in customs with Natoth asking about a uh, another liner coming into dock with the station and wondering when it's going to show up. And she turns around to see... Uh, someone in a Mimbari warrior outfit talking to a customs person. And then she recognizes the individual as a character Deathwalker. At which point she then proceeds to go batshit crazy and attack Deathwalker. And much as what happens in a high school fight, everyone stands back and watches until security shows up to break it up. Yeah, so I thought Deathwalker was the same as like Soul Hunter. I thought it was a profession at first, not a nickname. And so I was like, what is it with these people on Babylon 5 just like seeing from across the room someone that they don't like, right? Delane in the Soul Hunter episode pulls a gun off of uh, someone and tries to cap the Soul Hunter. And I was like, here we go again. Here we go again. From across yeah. customs, you see your mortal enemy and oh, time to time to murderify them. It turns out that this one had a slightly better explanation, which is that Death Hunter is like a it's like a war criminal, basically. Right. She had this blood oath to kill her, which is which is slightly more reasonable than <laughs> Delenn just being like, Yeah, well, they're kind of spooky. <laughs> And we tell our kids that they're going to come eat them. So, yeah, yeah obviously I tried to murder him. It's like, Dylan, that doesn't sound credible. But this, okay, this was a little more credible. Yeah, and Natoth had a, I guess, legitimate reason. One of her immediate family members was killed by Deathwalker during a apparent genocide on another planet. That is, I guess, a little bit more reasonable. It's kind of like seeing Sure, sure. Someone... It's, it establishes Deathwalker as evil in like a real world evil kind of way. Right. And less in like the boogeyman, it's not <laughs> obvious, you know, exactly if these guys are evil or not. Yeah, no, totally. So yeah, it was basically some war criminal who had done, did a bunch of genociding and murdering and she attacks her. Deathwalker is a lady or a, whatever, a female alien. 
of yeah. some kind. And they sort of play it cool. The first, Well, I guess she's passed out at first. But even when Deathwalker regains consciousness after this attack, she plays it pretty cool. But as the episode progresses, she just becomes more and more like cartoonishly evil. Like with evil yeah. cackles and, you know, grand speeches about how she's already won. So, yeah, they don't make it obvious at first that, oh, yeah, she's super evil. Uh, but by the end of the episode, you're like, oh, that person, they're crazy evil. Oh, my God. We, yeah. I want to I stick up to the end. The end is the best. <laughs> the end is the best. We can't skip to it. Discipline. Yeah. Before Let's we go. get to Here the end, go. though, um, and before we forget about it, there's also in the intro, the first time we see Kosh out and about in a while, and he actually engages oh, Talia yeah. Winters in yeah, a business transaction. My note is casual Kosh. Yeah. Just out on the town. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, keep going. In, yeah, in his fancy <laughs> encounter suit, I didn't know if you noticed that, it was, had a bow tie on it. So he's looking profesh out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's looking spiff and span. Yeah. It's quite an outfit, too. It has this, like, giant furry cape. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. It's it's quite an outfit. But, yeah, he's just out. No one's giving him a second glance. Like, it's established he's the only... What are they? Vorlon? What are they Vorlon, called? yeah. Yeah, he's the only Vorlon on the station. But everyone is playing it real cool. No one's staring. Right. Anyway, so, yeah, he's he engages uh, Miss Winters. This was a weird B-plot. <laughs> he's very being very cryptic about what is going on. Which is a total change of character for him, right? <laughs> I mean, that was sarcasm. Yeah. He's always, his entire character is cryptic. Super cryptic. Like capital C crypt, like if you wrote a synopsis of his character, it would be one word, the word cryptic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so of course he's out here being cryptic. Rather than saying we're going to meet at rush hour, he refers to it as the hour of scampering, or whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah, the hour of scampering. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it sounded like some some like Warhammer uh, <laughs> lore or something. Yeah. Anyway, should we? It was a weird B plot. I, I, let's let's focus on the A plot. We can summarize the B plot pretty easily. I have. To, it wasn't my favorite. I have to say. Yeah. I thought it had some interesting premises, but it didn't really amount to anything. So I don't know. At least nothing satisfying in this episode. Yeah, it's laying the groundwork for future stuff, I think, okay. this episode. we So, yeah, yeah. Kosh is in, uh, engaging Miss Winters to be a mind reader for some kind of, it's implied, business deal or negotiation or something. Right. It's pretty vague on the details. And she's like, yeah, sure. It's my, it's my literal job. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then what happens? Where do we go from there, Eric? Watched it two days ago. I don't remember the next scene. Yeah, we end up in the medical lab uh, where Dr. Franklin's right, trying to figure right. out who Deathwalker is. And for some reason, they don't have medical files on this whole species, which is weird, even though they've been dead, apparently. But I found that weird yeah, that they didn't have medical yeah. files on them. I agree with that, especially because they're, it turns out, very high profile, central in like political affairs. It seems like they, but they're trying to add up some suspense, I suppose. So they have to not know anything at first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife noted that the doc got a new outfit. He did. Looking spiff. Yep. Looking spiff. Oh, and when they were talking about this race, the Dilgar. Yep. They, of course, say Dilgar very quickly. 
<laughs> very quickly. <laughs> they don't really they don't really lean into the gar. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's a lot like Dilga. <laughs> I'm like the what? The oh, she's a Dilga. A dill? A dill? A dill? What? A what are, you, what are you saying? It literally wasn't until they showed like a scene that had the word spelled out like that, like a shot of the medical worker. I was like, oh, a dillgar. Yeah. A dillgar. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying that aliens couldn't be called dillgars. Just, you know, guys, you could have named them anything. <laughs> also, also, I've made this comment before, but no one wears gloves in this lab. What kind of lab is this? No one wears gloves. Everyone's just handling everything. Oh, <laughs> here, go test this. Let me hand it to you with my bare hands. You grab it with your bare hands. Rawr, haha, bears. Uh, oh, go on, you scamp. Like, no, wear some gloves. Wear a coat. Like, <laughs> uh it's the worst lab, uh, 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 you know, discipline I've ever seen. <laughs> it's the future. They sterilize everything automatically. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. When you're handling, like, medical, uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no one wears gloves. They also interrogated Natoth to kind of figure out what she was on about, which, of course, they find out about her blood oath. And then... Right, right. Jakar was actually being ambassadorial here. And he was requested very formally to release Natoth and that he would take responsibility for her and all these and all that stuff, which was very nice to see him be an actual ambassador for once. It's true, yeah, yeah. He was he was showing his best self. You know who wasn't showing their best self in this scene though was Commander Sinclair. <laughs> and I say that not because he granted uh Jakar's request and let you know, uh what's her name? Whatever. The Natoth. Yeah, the aggressor to like go back to his quarters. But when he did it, he was like, guards, show her to her. And it's like, dude, they have names. They have names. You run a small military outpost, like, you really (laughs) should be on better terms with the people serving, not only under you, but like in in your physical proximity, in the room with you. You should know those guys' names. Just calling them guards. They don't even have names. (laughs) Come on, Sinclair. Come on. Yeah, very true. That was that was my comment. Yeah. <laughs> Where did we go? So. Yeah, so they continue on with the investigation at Med Lab, and Garibaldi shows up, having searched her ship and found her belongings, including a uniform. Basically, that's right. And and she's passed out this whole time. Yep. On on the table, she's just passed out. And he's like, "Here's her stuff." Oh, and one of the things they're investigating. So the aggressor definitely said who this was and was like this is death walker yep i can feel it in my blood i took a an oath to kill her and i'm gonna do that and everyone's like that's ridiculous death walker would be really old by now there's no way this person is death walker well the course of the medical you know investigation just showed more and more signs oh this is definitely death walker well it can't be death walker she'd be ancient yep well in the in basically the following scene the doc discovers that this is like an anti-aging serum right and that's why this person is you know this this you know be like if we found some, some like high-ranking nazi in argentina and you know they're in brazil remember the boys in, in brazil, brazil. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so anyway and as he's discovering this she wakes up death walker does 
and she gets really angry. She's like, "You're looking at my life's work," and you know, I have to say that, like, if you're you brought your life's work onto the space station and then got attacked, this yeah. is, this sounds victim blaming, but she did commit genocide in the in the fiction of this yes. episode. So you know, so after she confronts the doc, I think there's a cut. I think it's back to the B plot. Actually, they go back to Jakar's quarters real quick. Oh, back to Jakar. And Natoth apologizes to Jakar, and this is when she finds out that she was actually supposed to meet a representative of the Narn government who was there to talk to Deathwalker about her discovery and try to leverage that. Now it's Jakar's job to do that, to try to get that information from her. And he promises that after they get the discovery from her, he will help Natoth fulfill her oath that She's not a proper Narn if she doesn't fulfill her oath, and he'll make sure that that happens. Yeah, totally. Blood oath to murdery blood oaths in Narn culture are apparently ironclad. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, that was an interesting scene. You got you know you don't get a whole lot of scenes of of Jakar just sort of chewing the scenery about Narn stuff. So that was kind of neat. Yeah, and following this. Oh, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yep. I did want to comment that Jakar was like, I too have a, whatever, Shakar, whatever the blood oath is called. Yeah. And then he's just like, many of them. <laughs> yeah, he has quite a few. All I can think of was that, like, that Simpsons mean, you, you Narn sure are contentious people. <laughs> yeah. Like, boy, oh boy, you guys. Sure, like, you have many murder blood oaths, really? Jakar, you have many of them, not just one or two, but many. <laughs> well, I suppose he's been in politics for a long time, so maybe that makes sense. I guess it does. I guess it does. This scene, I also noted, they say Narn a lot. They say <laughs> Narn a lot. They need some synonyms for Narn. I don't know. Say Narn again. Say Narn again. Every other word is Narn. It starts to sound like a nonsense word, which is not good because it is a nonsense word. <laughs> And these writers should be focusing on making it sound real. Well, they're trying to remind you of who they are if you are just joining the episode. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But you know what would add a little a little realism, a little yeah, a little depth is if they had multiple ways to refer to themselves. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, like like we do here, you know. But Well, there's anyway. Earth and there is what else do we call our planet? <laughs> <laughs> Well, but but it's not just planet, right? Like, there's lots of you know, I, alien races in Bab Five are pretty monolithic. Sure, so, yeah, you know, fair Very enough. True. Maybe you can just go by the planet, but like, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. Basically, the writer needs to look up a, or use a thesaurus in this case and come up with some other synonyms to to use or develop them sure, for their or, culture. Sure, you know, like uh, Londo had a line: "Oh, we were the lions of the galaxy." Like. Oh, you know that kind of stuff would be great. Oh, it would be unbecoming of a of a lion of the whatever, you know. Yeah. Or you know, I don't know. Anyway, this this was supposed to be a jokey comment, and this is taking it way too far. So we're, I'm going to drop it now. But they say Narn like thirty goddamn times. If you did a drinking game to when they said Narn, you would die in this scene. You wouldn't make it to the next scene. Probably, I think you're correct. But we are going to make it to the next scene, Eric, right now. <laughs> And the next scene involved uh, Sinclair being contacted by Senator Hiroshi, a new senator, by the way, showing up and asking him about Deathwalker, although he doesn't refer to her as Deathwalker, and instructs Sinclair to send Deathwalker immediately to Earth as soon as she's recovered. Because apparently Earth is also interested in her discovery, and this starts to open up the plot a little bit, and 
talk about the whole what is everlasting life worth to you <laughs> the whole immortality serum and what people are willing to sacrifice to get it yeah yeah which i i think is a great premise for an episode it is a very interesting question and as the episode goes on the death walker who despite being the antagonist i have to say you know she laughs maniacally <laughs> and she says a lot of things about oh how i'm winning and you're losing but she doesn't actually do anything that's right. evil in this episode, right? We rely entirely on the exposition to establish that she's bad. Like all, most of the other antagonists in episodes, we see them do the evil shit that you know causes them to be chased down or, or whatever. But we, we don't actually see Deathwalker do anything evil. Yeah, it's this. all but in her reputation at this point. It's all in her reputation, and it's all in the slow reveal of like is ever is immortality and everlasting youth especially in this form right uh you know is it a good thing or is it is it something to be to be feared so i yeah i thought that was a great premise yeah yeah so so earth wants it basically everyone wants it and we learn later that delin the minbari they don't want her now but she just came from basically the Mimbari military. Right. They sheltered her after the war. Right. In exchange for like war science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just um, had a bigger telescope with guns on it. Right. And I have to say, you know, I understand that this is based on like a lot of, you know, whatever Nazi or Japanese scientists being rehomed by the victorious powers for their right. scientific research. But Von I have Braun, to say, it example. doesn't really hold water yeah well von braun was one of the real examples of somebody who was brought over and actually did have indispensable expertise he's the exception that proves the rule though true, true. the vast majority of these i'm going to put in quotes scientists because they were sadistic people first i think yeah and, and just pretended to be scientists they didn't bring over anything useful there was no research results that they brought over that were actually useful most of them turned out to be so sadistic that they didn't even do good experiments they were just torturing <laughs> people and calling it science yeah. yeah they weren't like really doing controls and hype like none of that so the very few of them had any scientific results and even the ones that had some results they none of it was indispensable none of it was something we couldn't have done without right. so i just found the idea that this one person this one scientist has secrets so profound that no one can replicate it without her you know if the mumbari were sheltering her i would assume the mumbari have the elixir of youth why wouldn't they why they were totally in control of this person for you know it's implied decades right they were wholly dependent on the mumbari not only for survival but to do any of their work you know it's just Maybe maybe they do have the seer. Maybe that's a plot point later. But yeah, maybe, I yeah. mean, it would uh, stretch my belief to think that they wouldn't have everything that she worked on. Yeah. Which, and you know, if the Earth and whoever else, the Narn, are willing to, you know, do whatever, like who do they got to blow to get some uh, <laughs> uh, elixir of youth around here? It seems like they should be engaging the Mimbari with an equal amount of, you know, ardor, an equal amount of <laughs> vigor. Yeah. I think the difficulty with doing that is that the Mimbari are seen to be a much more advanced race, so they can easily swat aside those requests, and if you threaten them, they'll just kick your ass like they did to Earth 
before. So I think that's probably one reason why they maybe haven't gone after the Mimbari for that. Well, fair enough. But if that's the case, why did the Mimbari let her out of their custody? If oh, she is a, a bear of some, of some dangerous technology that the other races aren't ready for, it seems you know incredibly short-sighted to let her just walk onto bab five where she's going to be wrenched into the plot arc (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a fair question fair question anyway so yeah yeah over the over the course of the episode we learned that basically every faction wants control of death walker and the elixir of youth that she has with her and it's because everybody wants this technology Nobody is willing to hold her accountable for her crimes, except for Sinclair, basically. Right. And the uh, the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, who were the ones that were being, for lack of a better term, genocided by the Dilgar prior to Earth's intervention, want to hold right. her accountable as well. But uh, everyone else, to your point, is like, yeah, we're, we're just going to get this stuff from her and we'll figure out the rest later yeah and that, that was a pretty short description this takes place over a few scenes where sinclair tries to smuggle not smuggle but sort of get uh death walker onto a transport to earth right as per his orders and a mob a, a mob has some some connotations i don't a, a gathering a bunch a group <laughs> of these non-aligned aliens confronts him and is like uh you can't do that they need to be brought to justice. We demand a, a council trial. Right. Did you notice that the leader of that group was the same alien that uh, Sinclair paid no attention to during the fascist humans coming on board? No, <laughs> I didn't her? that. She was the one that got kidnapped in that episode. Oh, interesting. Wow. No, I didn't know that. That is interesting. <laughs> This character has gone through a lot of trauma. <laughs> yeah, she has. I'm surprised that she didn't request to speak to someone else after going through that with Sinclair. No, no. And to have the, you know, the sort of mental fortitude to confront the ship commander after something like that. And basically, you know, when he was like, well, tough titties, I got my orders. I can't disobey them. They were like, well, that's fine. You'll just have to kill all of us. Yeah. And I was like, wow, all right. <laughs> that escalated quickly. But Sinclair, to his credit, did not kill all of them. Yep. He did call a council meeting, which is what he wanted to do anyway. He was really upset that this person was going to escape justice. And he was confident beforehand that he would get enough votes because the non-aligned got a vote. And he's like, the Membari are decent. They'll vote with me. And so even though, and by the way, I was a little disappointed because in episode, in the second episode, in the first episode after the pilot, we got to see a, a crowded council chamber with yeah. lots of ambassadors. And I was like, oh, good. It was really silly when it was just the four of them. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's just the five of them. So that's not much <laughs> better. I was, expe- I, I was hoping for, you know, what felt like a, you know, a UN in space, but we didn't really get that. Yeah. Not this episode, but there will be others. Not to worry. So just as an aside, just real quick, the B-plot's going on behind the scenes here. Kosh is having his negotiations with Lita, only they're going really strangely. He's meeting with this character that has a really big hat and dresses funkily and uh, has a thing for Jovian sunspots, apparently. We should figure out what kind of drink that is and make that. It doesn't sound like a kind of drink I'd like, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't really like alcohol with sugar. 
<laughs> so anyway, but yeah, I agree. The, the, so yeah, the B-plot was basically a series of meetings with Kosh and this weird dude with the hat. And they're just talking in like nonsense. Like they're just saying phrases that basically sound like somebody was trying to think of like, you know, identification phrases for spies to use in like <laughs> yeah. in like vintage movies. The banana is green. Yeah, yeah. The the eagle lands at midnight. They were all like that, you know. Yeah. It, it is better if you have two jars instead of a beetle. Just like totally nonsense yeah. stuff. And whatever her name is, the psychic Talia. was playing yeah, yeah, thank you. Was um basically in the role of the audience being like what are you two talking about what is any of this and then a couple phrases elicits more than just confusion for her it like we go into her mind where we see her in on the set of some kind of music video that's a joke <laughs> but there's lots of there's weird colored lights and like you mirrors. Know, mirrors and stuff yeah. and it really looks like you know, kind of reminded me Jackson of is about yeah. to moonwalk in from stage left. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say it kind of reminded me of like a Madonna video or something. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, 100% sort of music videos from from the 80s or 90s or something. And anyway, it's it's sort of these hard cut thriller movie style cuts between her sort of grabbing her head and her in this weird colored <laughs> place and and you know, we're left to understand that it's like triggering some psychological i don't know i'm not quite sure what to make of it some kind of thing to do with psychics i guess yeah so at the end of it really what it turns out is that kosh is testing her basically and this uh, guy he's meeting with abbott is a weird cyborg kind of guy that records all these tests and she finds out about this a little bit later in in the episode but we'll just wrap up the b plot here and yeah basically turns out that kosh was testing her and when she confronts Kosh about it, he basically says, this is for the future, implying that, you know, this will come handy later on. So it's totally, interesting totally. that he they're laying the, the seeds for a future development with the telepaths there. And obviously there's some involvement from the Vorlons. Yeah, this was kind of, the, I mean, we've seen Kosh in more than zero episodes, but this was the first one that he, he played a, a driving role, something right. that actually moved the action forward. So that was kind of interesting. I would have liked a little more, I mean, it was kind of revealed at the end or, or Garibaldi says, oh, you got played, you know, yeah. in, implying that some, you know, Machiavellian plot by Kosh. But I would have liked something a little more than what we got, you know, <laughs> in terms of compli- <laughs> schemes to sort of entrap or elicit information, asking someone to s- sit in on, you know, negotiations and then. I don't know, somehow using trigger. I don't know. I, I I wasn't blown away. I guess I don't have any suggestions, but I wasn't blown away. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll give it a pass for now because it's his first episode really doing much of anything. <laughs> we'll give it We'll give it a pass. Well, and also I think he redeems himself because, like I said, the end of this episode is the, is the best. It's <laughs> my favorite ending of any episode, and it is 100% Kosh. So, yep. yeah, I love that. I love that. I love how, you know, I mean, video screen chats were not, you know, they were a common thing in sci-fi. But as we are, you know, what, a year and a half into into the coronavirus pandemic and Zoom has become like, I mean, I don't know about you, Eric. My whole job is done <laughs> over Zoom, basically. Yeah. Uh, so seeing these video screen Zoom chats 
filmed in 1995 was was kind of interesting <laughs> <laughs> so as sinclair back to the a plot as he's cal- calling the trial obviously the secret is out he's trying to keep it under wraps that they had death walker and in fact uh, what's his name londo's only two lines in this <laughs> episode are asking oh is it true sinclair that you have death walker and he's like oh i don't believe rumors and then skip forward to this scene where he's calling the council meeting and he's like you know londo's like don't believe rumors huh you know kind of upset that he got lied to yeah and sinclair's like we we're trying to keep it quiet <laughs> and londo is a great line we sort of looks around and all the commotion is like yeah great job <laughs> yeah that was good so we got two lines in the whole episode but as per usual i thought he killed it yeah <laughs> and then when we come in on the meeting and it's this you know the whole futuristic council chambers and then on this table is this old-timey gavel <laughs> yeah <laughs> tradition you know Gotta keep the tradition yeah going. i guess tradition all the other races must have been looking at sinclair like you humans are so flipping weird <laughs> yeah. tiny wooden hammers what 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 do you have tiny wooden nails come on yeah yeah so i thought that was kind of funny that they had a gavel <laughs> but i guess without the gavel it's just a table right you can't have that you need something you know? there to uh, stand out a little bit totally totally yeah need something to stand out so yeah then um they take the vote at that point they took the vote and to sinclair's surprise and uh, chagrin you know, even chagrin even <laughs> he <laughs> was not word. chagrinning i'll tell you that <laughs> everyone but him and the and the the non-aligned worlds yeah. the victims voted not to have a trial and and the the answer was you know either they were responsible in harboring the uh, death walker or they were the ones death walker was working for during the war so basically all the you know the mimbari and the centauri and the nanari uh <laughs> they all were like no we don't want to have a trial so right. the non-allied plants were like okay that's fine we accept this answer wait no they weren't they went and got their own war fleets they got their ships and they brought they them got through. their ship yeah they went out to their car they were like wait here <laughs> and and everyone else should have been like uh time to go but no everyone was like all right bye yeah. And then they showed back up with their with their warships, and we get this great scene of them sort of trying to stare down. What's her name? Natalia. Ivanova. Ivanova, right? Yes, Ivanova. Talia's the telepath. What's her first name? It's something weird. It's something Ivanova. Uh, it's not Russian. <laughs> yeah, there's this great scene where Ivanova, you know, sort of activates their turrets, and they're you know they're like hand over Deathwalker now, and Ivanova's like. I'll blow you out of the sky. Try me. Right. And that seems to work. And, you know, they sort of calm down. <laughs> but this this escalation of force, this is the second time, by the way, that we have seen warships threaten Babylon 5 to extract a, a prisoner out right. of there. The second time. I mean, right? <laughs> it's like if... It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's like if it, two times in a few years somebody parked you know battleships outside geneva and was like we're gonna shell the un if you don't turn over i don't know anyway so, it'd be yeah, pretty impressive to park battleships outside of geneva considering that's in switzerland exactly <laughs> exactly now you hear what i'm saying <laughs> 
you're, yes, you are correct about that. You know, I didn't say how far outside Switzerland. <laughs> I didn't say how far. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. I was thinking of Brussels. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of Brussels. That's a bit closer to the water. That's a little closer to the water. Oh, good times. Anyway. Okay. And you know what I appreciated about this scene was we got a lot of uh, CGI. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of scenes of interesting looking spacecrafts. You know, the designers clearly had a lot of fun coming up with what spacecrafts from all these different. Yeah. They all had their own like. kind of design language, which was cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I loved it. And it was super diverse and not all of it looked like fighter jets in space which honestly is what we get a lot of and i love fighter jets and i think they look as cool as hell and look i had x-wing action figures growing up i think they look amazing but you can you can have a lot of different shapes in space you're not constrained by needing to have wings and stuff to sort of catch airflow so i really appreciated that they sort of experimented with the spaceship design and had some rather crazy-looking ships show up. I thought that was neat. And they also had a couple of flying saucers, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah classic flying saucers. But even the <laughs> flying saucers, you know, they, lit, they were had cool. neon lights. They lit them up. Yeah. yeah. Like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and I did love the scene where Sinclair gets on the bridge and... Or was it Garibaldi? I don't Yeah, Sinclair gets on the bridge and, you know... Ivana was like, they're arguing about who has the most right to try Deathwalker. The winner will be the first to attack. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. Yeah. I thought that was great. (laughs) Yeah. And Sinclair was basically like, you know, stall, stall them. (laughs) Right, right. And she does a good job, and, and and when he comes back, she I don't remember what it was, but she has some good story about how she stalled him. But again, I, hearing about it was so anticlimactic. I would have loved to see the 30-second yeah. clip. Yeah, exactly, of the haggling, of the stalling. Like, I actually really enjoyed the that interaction been fun. Between, yeah. between the non-aligned uh, uh, generals at Ivanova. Yeah, I would have liked that. Yeah, so anyway, but this escalation does achieve something. They basically come to a compromise, and the compromise is, okay, we're going to take Deathwalker back to Earth. I don't remember where they decided to take her, Earth. And we're going to develop the Elixir of Youth, and then we're going to help you you know, murder, execute her for a crime. Right. Try her and bring her to justice. And you guys can bring your scientists along too, so that way you guys can benefit from from this. Totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. And this is deemed an acceptable compromise. And uh, Sinclair sort of is telling this to uh, Deathwalker in what is sort of meant to be one of his classic end of the episodes. Here's why evil will never win and why we've already won you know he he kind of gives these one-upping speeches at the end of a lot of episodes but death walker has a one-up on that even where she's like oh you think you found a solution but actually actually the elixir requires you know it cannot be created she says it has to be extracted from living creatures yes from other people basically which, even though I'd watched this show, I'd forgotten this. My wife pointed out that is the plot of Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> That's what the Philosopher's Stone is in Full Metal Alchemist. Anyway, yeah. so 
which which again came after this so i'm not saying you know babylon 5 stole it i i actually really dislike as a small tangent i really dislike when people say that some shows stole things from other shows and i might be a hypocrite i might have said something like that on this very <laughs> podcast but i think it is totally acceptable to be influenced by other things totally, and to yeah. put the stuff you like in the things you're creating i don't think it's stealing at all okay end of end of rant <laughs> So yeah, yeah, they had it had to be extracted from other people basically, and she's like, no matter how diligently or ethically you research this, in the end, it's going to create a class of immortals and a cl- and an underclass that are, is harvested from, and you know, simply by coveting this technology, you have already fallen to its evil. To which the viewer, at least I, could not think of a way out of it. It was like, oh, wow, yeah, she's right. This yeah. sounds awful. But I have a, I have a history question for you, Eric. You were a history major. Yep. Mm-hmm. What was the solution to the Gordian Knot? You cut it. <laughs> you just cut it. And Kosh taught that lesson to everyone on Port Bab 5 because as the transport was leaving to take... Deathwalker back to Earth. A, a Vorlon ship shows up and just blows it up. Yep. Just in like, <laughs> like five seconds. That's that. No more Deathwalker. And no one's gonna stop the Vorlons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just cut right through that Gordian knot. No problem. I have to say though, the, you know, Kosh gave like you, you know you're not ready for it, and then walk and then stalked out. No one made a peep for all the non-Deathwalker victims that were on that ship. Like, only one person on that ship was a, you know, a, a former genocidal maniac, right? Yeah. <laughs> the rest oh. of them, I mean, you know, famous contractors on the Death Star conversation <laughs> from clerks, right? The rest yeah. of them were innocent. Well, I don't think they affected the galactic economy as much with this death, so there's that. No, it's true. It's true. It is on a much smaller scale. But, I mean, I loved that. I loved that ending. I don't know. It <laughs> com- caught me completely off guard. It, I don't know. It, it was great. There's so many tropes. Every episode you watch in a sci-fi show, it feels like you could have pieced it together from the episodes of all the other sci-fi shows. The ending of this episode was nothing I had seen before, which I was not expecting for a show from the 90s. I loved it. I loved that it was just, uh, yeah, come in, slice that knot in half. You're welcome. You weren't ready for this. You were going to have to harvest it from other people, guys. Get real. Gosh, just, yeah, exit stage left. No, I absolutely loved the ending. Yeah, it was a great ending to the episode and there's a bit of an epilogue where Sinclair and Gabaldi are talking about how politics always takes precedence over morality and I think this is an interesting examination of that at least it attempts to be in terms of you know what people were willing to sacrifice for immortality and really people weren't also thinking about the long-term effects of immortality because all right now everyone's living forever but how do you feed everyone how do you address you know, population control and it's all these true. other components. It's true. And, you know, I understand why it makes perfect sense for all these governments to want control of the technology or want to be able to develop the technology. But I think in the real world, a lot more thought would go into, totally. you know, how does this affect national security? Like, how does... This makes us a target, you know? 
and all these other things and yeah makes it target i mean capitalism doesn't really work so well if you have a population of immortals right right like you know the idea that there always is a new generation that works and uh, you know, especially with Social Security, uh, you know, supports, not with any system, ideally, you know, supports the people who can't work. If you have this population that never ages, I mean, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to rethink all of society. And, and you, you know, rethinking all of society <laughs> is uh, always dangerous for the people at the top of the pyramid of the status quo. Oh, yeah. Quo. Everyone in power would start exactly exactly there's all so we we didn't have to deal with any of that because kosh solved it all for (laughs) us exactly yeah yeah definitely a lot of really interesting considerations for something that would fundamentally change the human experience yeah all society would be changed by that yeah yeah totally you know some classic sci-fi does deal with things like that like isaac Mm -hmm. asimov and you know a lot of authors from like the golden age of science fiction they do think about Ursula Gwynn, I think. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I love that kind of stuff. The, the mm-hmm. Sort of, you know, it's all it's all fun and games just to have lasers instead of guns and lightsabers instead of swords. But the real fun of sci-fi, in my opinion, is, like, thinking through all the crazy consequences to, like, usually contemporary yeah. uh, societal issues. But if you extrapolate and make them extreme and, you know, anyway. Yeah, that's, that's what when sci-fi is its most fun, in my opinion. By the way, lightsabers, worthless weapons. Just letting you know, not very good. Yeah, why, why do you say that? They seem pretty useful, no? No, not useful at all. Not useful not at all. Useful. I mean, the truth is, like, you know, the idea that we're going to go back to sword fighting <laughs> is a little silly. Yeah. One, one other funny thing, I don't remember what it was, but I think I read an article or a paper a long time ago, back when I was in college, that looked at what might happen if everyone was granted immortality like from a health standpoint right like we didn't have disease or anything like that and that natural death you could still die through accidents and things right but you just couldn't die of natural causes anymore i think the there's a statistical analysis and like the statistics said that people would probably still die you just be you'd live about 500 years before statistically you're likely to have suffered some sort of accident that would kill you by that point right right yeah, no, I mean, that's true. Like, statistically speaking, you still won't live forever. I mean, there's, like, species of crab and fish and stuff that technically grow forever. It's just that things want to eat them. Right. Or they step in front of a bus at some point because they weren't looking the other way. Right, yeah, something, <laughs> exactly, something happens. Yeah. Uh, that is interesting. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thought experiment. Yeah, what would happen? If, mm-hmm. I mean, look... I'll take 500 years. It's not forever, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to die getting hit by a bus. That would suck. In fact, I think, is it the Foundation series? The, you know, the one of Isaac Asimov's most famous works. I think the, the first the first book, maybe the first couple, in the Foundation... I don't know. Is this Foundation? Shoot. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Uh, it's been ages since I read the Foundation no, series. No, it wasn't. This was, was a that. short story I, I read. But, but anyway, it basically had people, you know, first being able to live, you know, a few hundred years. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's these conversations. Well, I don't think, you know, we should live forever, but I'm barely 200. You know, right. I'm, I'm, I've still got a lot of life ahead of me. And it's this idea that, like, <laughs> you know, it's all well and good to say that immortality would be bad for us. But, like, 
no one is going to suddenly say one day, okay, today is the day I'm going to be done with it. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Maybe you can <laughs> cut out this whole last bit. We've really gotten off, off the rails here. Yeah, so anything else on the episode that you want to touch on? No, I don't know. No one wears gloves in the lab. Oh, she had, uh, I mentioned this, but Deathwalker had cl- great classic evil laughs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Crazy-eyed, <laughs> wide-mouthed, cackling as the camera zooms in on him and then it cuts to a new scene. Like The one where Jakar comes to ask Deathwalker, you know, hey, we'll pay you triple what Earth is going to pay you if you give us your secrets. And she's like, oh, I, that's fine, um, but you have to give me... Uh, the head of Natoth in exchange, and I'll take the deal. And then Jakar oh, stomps yeah. out, and then she it does that whole zoom in, the ex- extreme close up of her laughing, and she has this <laughs> great expression. It's like that's like golden age sci fi bad guy right there, or Bond villains laughing. You it know? is, it is, because I mean, even if you're really satisfied, like 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 real world bad guys who get away with stuff and are satisfied i am sure don't cackle like that like they'd probably <laughs> laugh a little maybe yeah. smirk to themselves maybe even laugh a lot yeah. but nobody laughs like that <laughs> <laughs> no one laughs like very that. true but uh yeah i don't think i have any other comments i like this episode i thought this was a great one yeah very enjoyable episode yeah. i think uh, again an episode that really opens up some interesting questions to examine from that standpoint yeah yeah and if you had to ask me a favorite character Mm -hmm. in this one that's a tough that's a tough one i don't know uh uh maybe talia not susan jakar yeah not susan (laughs) ivanova yeah that's Um, her first name by the way in case you forgot well i remembered it was something not russian because (laughs) my wife is you know speaks a little bit of russian was all excited that this character was russian then she was like susan <laughs> what kind of russian name is susan yeah, so she was disappointed yeah i don't know i don't know if i maybe let's go with kosh kosh go with kosh i'm not saying the character stole the scenes or the actor stole the scenes but you know he was out out and about chilling at tables uh <laughs> cut through gordian knots so yeah i'm gonna go with kosh an excellent choice excellent choice with kosh <laughs> oh thank you yeah okay so that wraps it up for this episode of the podcasting guild our next episode will be taking a look at episode 10 of season one of babylon 5 the believers which will be another episode that digs into some very interesting questions can't wait all right well thank you all for your time as always and a good eating to you i'm gonna have dinner actually (laughs) awesome well (laughs) in real life then good eating to you thank you